Hello and welcome to this latest Fraser of Allender podcast. My name is Mary Spowage, I'm the Interim Director of the Institute and joining me um, to discuss the events of last, the last week um, is my colleague Emma Congreve. Uh, also today we're going to have a, a wee guest segment, we're hoping to do these um, some of the weeks that we're doing podcasts over the election campaign. We're going to be joined by Peter McMahon from ITV Border who's going to tell us about his thoughts on what might come up during the campaign. So it has been the first full week of the campaign, which obviously kicked off um, last Thursday. Um, we had the leaders debate on Tuesday evening. Um, and there has been some, some substantive policy issues which have come up both um, sort of just over the course of the week and, and in the debate itself. So for example, some issues around NHS capacity and things like that have been discussed. Um, but there's also a lot that's been discussed around poverty in general and child poverty in particular. So Emma, I just want to say what's been discussed around poverty this week. Yeah, so it has been a bit of um, a scene, um, particularly uh, following last weekend with uh, the SNP had their kind of virtual conference where um, one of the announcements they had within that was for um, a commitment uh, reaffirmed for a really tackling child poverty in the next parliament. And one of the ways they're saying they're going to do this is by doubling the Scottish child payment. And they're not alone in saying this, quite a few of the other parties had already said that this is um, what they were proposing should happen in the next parliament. So it's definitely got support from, from a few parties. Um, and just to remind you of what the Scottish child payment is, um, it's, it's a new social security benefit um, well, actually, it's it's really a top of benefit that the Scottish Parliament has has brought in um, over the last year. It's actually just sort of started operating in Scotland for just for children under the age of six at the moment. And um, but it, when it's fully rolled out, it'll be for children under the age of sixteen. And essentially, what it is, it's um, an additional payment per child for eligible children, and the eligibility is is set on the basis of um, whether or not. Uh, UK reserved benefits are being claimed in the whole, it's, it's universal credit, that's the passport, but also some of the legacy benefits that universal credit is replaced as not everyone has actually um, rolled onto universal credit just yet. Um, so as I say, it's it's something that's been brought in by the Scottish Parliament, um, but it is it's essentially, it's not a, an entirely new benefit, it is a more of a, it is a top up in terms of the legislation that's been used to bring it in. And what it does is it gets money directly into the pockets of families with children um, in low-income households, which is, is essentially what one of the most direct ways of tackling child poverty. Um, and the amounts that have been talked about initially, it was to be £10 a week. That was already seen as, as quite a substantial investment in, in getting you know, that money out from the Scottish budget um, into into that social security system. Um, it's taken quite a long time for it to be set up with the social security agency. I think that's the other part of it with a lot of administrative costs there and, and time taken to get the right people in place to get the system up and running. Um, but that's all there now. And as I said, in the next few couple of years, it will be rolled out to all children at the age of 16. Um, and by doubling it, that means we'll be looking at 20 pounds a week per child. 
Um, there's no child limit on this, as there is with UC. So if you have three or more children, you'll get it for, for three or more three or more children. Um, and yeah, it's it's essentially there to to in recognition that um, that that is a very um, straightforward way of tackling poverty. We have child poverty targets for the next parliament, which this is part of the way of trying to reach those. Um, so those targets are to get child poverty down to 18% by 2023, 24. It's currently at around um, 24, 25%. So, you know, um, it has to go quite a long way down in order to get to those targets. And even that 20 pound per week per child isn't going to do it on its own. <laughs> I think that's, that's quite an important thing to, to to talk about like this isn't the kind of poverty sorted let's move on actually it will only get potentially sort of halfway towards those targets and um, the modeling that we've done in recent months has actually said that in order to meet the targets for social security alone we'd be looking at 40 pounds per week scottish child payment per child so there are other levers that need to be pulled in order to meet the targets alongside that doubling the scottish child payment those kind of things are, um, you know, active labour market support, um, childcare that actually works for people in low income when, you know, quite a lot of them are shift patterns. Um, it's not kind of, you know, the normal nine to five. Um, things like more accessible transport at, at the right times in order to get people to and from jobs. So removing those barriers to work. But of course, given we're coming out of a, you know, the biggest recession any of us have ever known, <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily straightforward that, that work will be that guaranteed route, you know, even if um, good to quality um, transport and childcare is available, you know, will there be the jobs there in the next few years to support it? So in that sense, social security will have to do quite a lot of the heavy lifting in the next few years to meet those targets. But yeah, the other place to look is housing support. And there wasn't some announcements on on um, prospects for that as well from, from the SNP with a you know, further big increase planned in terms of house building and social house building in particular. So, I mean, there's quite a lot in there in terms of some of those early announcements. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, that, that first thrust of the, the campaign has been focused on, on child poverty. Um, it, it just show a good level of ambition. And, and, it, and there was a few other things in the debate relating to poverty that we can have a little chat about as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you explained, Emma, you know, about this, <laughs> the fact this is one of the kind of powers that the Scottish Parliament have been able to newly flex over the, the you know, since the devolution of the Smith related powers through the Scotland Act 2016. Um, and um, one of the briefs we published this week actually is sort of explaining that system. So we'll put a link in the, in the information about the podcast so that if you're interested in how and the social security system works in Scotland, what's reserved, what's devolved um, and so on. You can read that brief um, and, and get more informed about that. Yeah, yeah. So we've started to sort of unpack some of the, the new powers beyond the Scottish child payment because there are devolved powers in terms of disability and carers that have, have, have been um, devolved and are starting to be operationalised now in Scotland. So, yeah, we're starting to unpick some of those. And, we looked at working age um, care and disability benefits this week and we'll move on to look at child and, um, and pensioner uh, benefits in that same space. Um, we also put out quite a detailed um, sort of explainer on household incomes and income inequality and poverty to give the background to all of these things like so what do people mean when they say household income? 
um, you know, what are the levers available that can change incomes for households, um, both at the, the bottom end and the top end in terms of, of tax policy. So um, definitely have a look at that if you're interested in knowing a bit more about um, yeah, what, what this is all uh, referring to. <laughs> Yeah, and this is going to be a bit of a theme of the election campaign, you know, we're going to be putting out lots of these sorts of briefs to help um, navigate through all of these terms that people use a lot, but, um, you know, sometimes have quite complex definitions behind them. So we're going to keep doing that um, to hopefully inform um, everyone who's interested in the election campaign. So just before we um, discuss um, some of the other issues that have come up um, this week, we're just going to go to our guest segment with Peter McMahon from ITV Border to hear what he thinks is going to come up in the campaign. Joining us for our first election segment, I'm delighted that Peter McMahon is here with us. Uh, Peter, first, could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your role at ITV Border? Uh, well, my name is Peter McMahon. I'm the political editor for ITV Border, which means that for news purposes, uh, we report on politics, Scottish politics, but it's north and south of the border in the south of Scotland and in Cumbria. And I also present Representing Border, which is our politics programme that goes out in the south of Scotland and appears on our website online. That's usually three nights a week uh, when Hollywood's sitting. At the moment, there are two election specials every week. Thanks, Peter. So what are the big issues that are coming up at the start of this election campaign? Well, whether you like it or whether you loathe it, and it provokes uh, different feelings amongst different people, the subject of independence and the SNP's call for a mandate for a second independence referendum has, as expected, uh, dominated much of the opening exchanges when it's come to the Scottish election. Uh, the SNP, I think, have pitched it uh, cleverly. They're talking about giving Scots the choice to choose their future which implies, of course, that you can choose yes uh, for independence or, or no if you're against independence. But of course, what the SNP want is the right to hold the second independence referendum. And of course, what they want to do is to persuade people sometime in the next Hollywood Parliament to vote yes. Now, there are, of course, a number of problems with that. The first, well, the first is they have to get a majority or along with the Scottish Greens or, or other parties who favour independence get a, a majority. And then, of course, uh, it's pretty well established that uh, the legal way to do this would be to ask uh, Westminster for official consent. And at the moment, the Westminster government under Boris Johnson are saying, well, now is not the time. And sometimes just saying pretty much, no, you can't do that. So obviously, should the SNP win or should there be a majority for independence or a second independence referendum, there's a potential there for uh, more conflict between uh, Westminster and Scotland. Now, of course, added into that mix is this new party, the Alaba Party, uh, headed by Alex Salmond, the former SNP First Minister. He's talking about helping get what he calls a super majority in uh, Holyrood for, for independence. He says that would increase pressure on Westminster to say yes. Um, uh, we know because of the saga over the uh, harassment case, uh, against Mr. Uh, Salmons that he and Nicola Sturgeon uh, no longer have any relationship when they used to be particularly close. And she's been extremely cold about his political offer, uh, rejected it, 
And it says that people, in her view, what the voters should do is they should vote uh, both of their votes for the SNP. And at the moment, we don't know what level of support the Alaba party will have. And so that is something we're going to have to watch uh, in the next few weeks ahead. So thinking ahead and um, beyond some of the constitutional issues, um, what are the other things that are on the table this election? So at the Fraser, we've been trying to unpick some of these to see what interesting sort of policy um, issues will come through in this campaign. And um, be interested to hear your thoughts on, on what you think they will be. One thing it's easy to forget is that the SNP has been in power for pretty much a decade and a half, 14 years in government since 2007. And so they have a long record in government uh, which we can look at and which we can scrutinise in this election. Uh, as journalists, we'll be doing that. And I think it's excellent the Fraser Allender Institute will be doing uh, something similar. So some of those issues, that, I mean, the ones that you can pick out that I suppose are fairly obvious are education. Uh, a recent Audit Scotland report said the attainment gap between children from uh, less well-off and better-off backgrounds is still wide and ministers have fallen short of their objectives on that after 14 years in government and after Nicola Sturgeon saying it was going to be her number one priority. Of course, the First Minister would say the gap is closing and she would say that they have put uh, recently uh, extra effort and extra resources into closing that gap. And she says it will be done, but it's still an issue that needs to be probed. Uh, probed. The health service is another obvious one. Uh, waiting times, waiting lists, pre-pandemic, of course. Uh, certainly most of the targets that the SNP set themselves uh, hadn't been reached, although again, the SNP would say, well, we put in a lot of extra money into the health service. Uh, we have uh, plans for uh, new treatment centers around the country that our record is, is a good one. There's plenty of other things as well, the justice system, uh, the funding for local authorities, for example, uh, the taxation system, because, you know, again, people sometimes forget now quite a lot of power over personal tax lies at Hollywood as well. So I think um, it's uh, incumbent upon journalists and also it's, it's very welcome that things like the Fraser of Alner are gonna do this, that as well as the constitutional issues and as well as obviously um, post coronavirus recovery and the different parties plans for that, which is obviously important, we should be looking at some of these other issues uh, and judging the SNP on the record, but also you know scrutinizing it's easy for the opposition to say, well, you haven't done this in education, you haven't done that in health. Uh, what would they do? Uh, and particularly uh, if they're promising uh, to do things, how much would the promises they make uh, cost? So, so that's what I hope to see and personally be trying to do a bit of uh, in the next five weeks of the election. Just a bonus question, just on the end. Um, are there any particular issues for the South of Scotland in this election that you, you think will come to the fore? Uh, for the south of Scotland, actually, the independence question is, is obviously vitally important. Um, uh, as I say, for news, uh, ITV border covers both Cumbria and the south of Scotland. So should there be a, a, a mandate for a second independence referendum, we could be seeing some kind of border between England and Scotland, some kind of international border between England and Scotland, although exactly what kind of border that would be is obviously disputed again between uh, the SNP and those in favour of independence and others, but it would it's certainly a potentially very big issue for the South of Scotland. I think for, on the sort of bread and butter issues, there's a feeling in the South of Scotland that they're a bit forgotten of, forgotten about by, by Edinburgh. 
Um, it's not unique to the SNP administration, although because they've been in power for so long, it tends to be focused on the SNP administration. So to take an example, if you look at an area like uh, Stranraer uh, and that bit of the southwest of Scotland, um, if you go there, you see that the ferries moved to Cairn Ryan. There were lots of promises made about regeneration. Uh, there's been lots of talk about uh, infrastructure, transport, roads, these kind of things. And people there certainly feel that they've been rather neglected by central government. And so, and you would feel that in certain other ways in say in the south of Scotland, in, in, in Scottish borders as well, perhaps in transport, for example, rural broadband, these, these kind of issues. So that kind of feeling and how it plays out in the election is an important one. And also the, the kind of feeling that there is down in the south of Scotland, and I think it probably applies to the Highlands and other places as well, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, and it is disputed by the Scottish government, there's a feeling that there's a lot of centralisation happened in Edinburgh. The Scottish government, of course, if you speak to, say, Nicola Sturgeon about this, she would say, well, no, we've given much more powers. There's a South Scotland Enterprise Agency, for example, being set up. We, the SNP government, she says, did that. We do recognise this. We are acting. We are doing something. But that will certainly, those kind of issues will be important for the South of Scotland. Thanks very much, Peter. It's great to talk to you today. You're welcome. Okay, so coming back to some of the, the issues that were discussed, particularly in the debate on a, on Tuesday night. Um, so it's one topic that is um, a lot of people are interested in, sometimes a bit too interested in from my point of view. Um, it's a universal basic income. And, and this was raised um, in the debate and it's also features in a couple of, of parties um, sort of early indications of, of what will be um, in their manifesto so you know it's um it's a really interesting idea and it's as I mentioned it's quite emotive and and yeah people uh, yeah do like um to, to to talk about it so what what are the key things to think about with universal basic income Larry? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who, who are quite passionate about advocating for some form of, of, of a universal basic income. Um, you know, those, those who are in favour see it as quite transformative, potentially moving away from the sort of system we have at the moment um, with means-tested benefits, which is maybe not seen as giving people enough money to live on um, and, and, you know, um, doesn't really um, treat them with the, the sort of dignity that perhaps it should. Um, so, you know, basically that there isn't enough income security for people in our society and is there a way we could do things differently? So it seems is a potentially quite transformative idea. Um, you know, the, I mean, we've seen through the pandemic and as we emerge, you know, a lot of folk will be thinking about how we, how we maybe do things a wee bit differently, given the, the lack of financial security some people undoubtedly have. And, and you know, there, there, there is, there's too much poverty <laughs> there is in Scotland. Um, and how do we deal with that? And do things maybe a wee bit differently and you were just talking about the child poverty chart targets that we obviously have and these things aren't unrelated of course but the thing is um a universal basic income is is not just one thing there are lots of ways potentially lots of um, flavors of it lots of different approaches one could use um, so it's important to be clear when people are advocating or talking about it what exactly they are talking about um, you know, so um, given um, you know everyone in in the country um, a, a certain level of income, um, obviously comes at a, a, a certain cost, um, and you know, for example, would would slightly targeting it be a better way to alleviate poverty? So there are a lot of um, debates and issues around 
how you would actually do it. Um, we've published um, an additional brief um, on our website on Thursday, which goes into um, some work we've done um, alongside um, IPPR Scotland um, and Manchester Met University, which looks at um, you know, the potential costs of different forms of universal basic income and also what wider economic um, impacts it could potentially have. Um, so that, you know, to be truly transformative in terms of getting up to basic um, sort of standards of income, you know, it does have very large costs. So the question is, how do we fund that if, if that was a, a, you know, a potential policy option? So look at the brief if you're interested in, in finding out more and seeing what the debates are around, about, around UBI. But I guess I'd finish by saying we just kind of don't know um, what the impacts could be on our society. There's nowhere that's really introduced this in, in the way that some people envisage it being done. There's been some pilot schemes, there's been some limited versions of it introduced in particular countries, um, but it isn't the, the, you know, the universal basic income that, that some imagine. So the, the actual impact on our society or economy it, is a little bit of an unknown. Is that a, is that a fair summary, Emma? Yeah, and I mean, I think the thing that we are, what we pointed out in our research was that how it's paid for. It can be as um, impact as much of an impact as the actual payment itself, but we see in different parts of the income distribution, and you know, and for many people, that's the whole point that it's massively redistributive. Um, but there are consequences of that, and I think it's in this debate you, you kind of need to unpick those and make sure, yeah, we know what we're talking about and. Um, and yeah, and we're all on the same page in terms of, of, of what some of its impacts could be, but obviously we don't have all the answers to it, but it's certainly something that I think will remain part of the debate um, for, for this election and probably beyond. Um, and so is, what else has come up this week, Mary, in terms of um, the economy? Um, obviously we had we put a, a brief up very early in the week that looked at um, just setting the scene in terms of, of what's going on with the economy at this, um, you know, obviously still very much still within the, the pandemic um, related crisis. So, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, even if things are starting to open up a little bit more. Um, so yeah, so do you want to talk a little bit about um, some, of, some of that? Yeah, and, and obviously um, we're, we're waiting every month to see kind of what the um, economic growth figures look like, um, you know, how, how the, um, the economy is recovering to the, the latest period. Um, and later in the month, we'll, we'll get to get a feel for um, how the economy's performed during February, um, which we're all looking forward to seeing how, how it's sort of doing, um, if it's bounced back a little from the lows in January. Um, but the ONS this week sort of revised some of their figures for, um, for the latter half of, of, of 2020. So um, they're a little bit more um, positive in terms of the growth that, that happened during quarter three and quarter four of 2020 although a little bit more negative about the contraction during quarter two. So the figures haven't changed that much in terms of our understanding of, of what's happened during the course of 2020. But I will say, given the kind of um, disruptions in some data um, and just like the basically unprecedented nature of the economic shock, I suspect that we'll be seeing revisions to what happened during 2020 for many years to come, to be honest, before we really understand what the impact has been on different industries. Have we captured that properly? Um, so I think our understanding of exactly what happened during the period of the, the deep part of the recession will continue to, to evolve. So as I say, a couple of weeks time, um, you know, we'll get, um, we'll get the February figures and we'll see, see what's happening 
um, as we um, hopefully um, start to emerge from from this latest lockdown, fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah, and and looking forward, I mean, I'm sure we expect that there'll be there'll be talk in the election campaign about how to to best support the economy going forward. But yeah, they're doing that in in a very uncertain situation about really knowing what will be required in the future. So um, it's it's not an easy thing to to be planning for at the moment. Well, thanks, Murray, um, and thank you again to Peter for um, his segment today. Um, so as Mary said, we'll be doing these podcasts on a weekly basis, trying to keep up with what's going on in the election campaign and looking beyond that to see what else is going on in the world of the Scottish economy. Um, so thank you for joining us and I hope you all have a happy Easter. <laughs>